This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Mark Foreman, the former Associate Administrator for E-Government and IT at OMB, and Gloria Parker, the President and CEO of Parker Group Consulting. Mark, Gloria, welcome back to the show. You both have been on the show many times and appreciate you guys uh, coming on. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Today we're talking about a new white paper that the Partnership for Public Services SAGE CIO program put out. The white paper is very interesting. It's really looking at the next set of CIOs who maybe are coming in under the new administration. And, and I think it lays out a lot of really important areas that they should focus on. And I want to dig deeper into those areas. But, but let's just start at the top end. Why did you guys write the white paper? Why did the Partnership for Public Service SAGE program decide that this was the time to really talk about acceleration of digital transformation? Let me just say that we got together, I think it's five of us, six of us, and we were talking about the fact that things are changed permanently in this environment with COVID. Things, the way things used to be, it's not that way anymore. And what we saw were that a lot of agencies and slash CIOs were trying to adapt to something that appeared to be somewhat temporary, that we're gonna do this for a month or so and then everybody's gonna go back to quote normal. We know that that's not gonna happen. And so what we decided to do was to really look at how CIOs and other chiefs, other C-suites should be adapting the way that they do work so that they can be successful in this new world that we live in. It's not as intuitive as it would seem to be to some of us who might be standing on the outside looking in and have been there for a while. Uh, And on the inside, we know people are running and trying to put out fires and keep the lights on. So we thought this is a good time for us to kind of give some ideas, direction, some put some, um, some points on the table that people could study, read, and, and give them a head start in understanding what they could do to be successful in this transition to the new world. So that was how we started talking about it and, and started thinking about putting a paper together. I know Mark has some more detailed ideas about that. Yeah, thanks, Laura. And, and I, I should give a Shout out to the uh, other authors of the paper, Alan Belutis, Dan Mintz, and John Gilligan. I think, as you know, Jason, John heads up the, the CIO Sage group at the partnership. And so we were, we were talking, as, as it, Gloria says, about uh, what this all means post-pandemic. Uh, just to highlight some specific data, we at SAIC did a, a survey of federal leaders on what's changed and what's going to stay the same after the pandemic and the shift from uh, what before we knew is telework. And you remember a year ago, a couple of agencies were talking about getting rid of telework is really going to be the future of, of work in a, a very much an online environment. There's a lot of cost savings to be mined. There's a lot of innovations that come with moving to a, a real online environment. And it all requires this concept of, of digital transformation. One of the things when we talk about how things have changed, and, and Gloria, you said in the beginning, 
many people thought maybe this was temporary, maybe it was going to go on for a month or, or maybe you know six months, but it wasn't going to be temporary. Why do you get a sense that this is more permanent than maybe people thought or maybe that than ever before? I mean, yes, it's nice to work from home. Yes, these video calls are much more successful than we ever thought they maybe would be or a better tool than we really ever realized. But why do you feel like it's going to stop people from saying, okay, once we get vaccinated, once this COVID thing is gone, everyone back to the office? Some people will go back. But what has happened is one of these major shifts in is a very disruptive shift in the way people have done things in the past and what they've discovered is that we are more productive this other side, working from home. It's less expensive to work from home. There are a ton of benefits to working from home or working remotely. Yes, there are people miss, like the social piece, and there are ways to accomplish that. But I think that once figured out how to do it, and not just the employees who are working from home, but the whole uh, organization, looking at the productivity gains, the lower cost of doing business, the efficiencies that were, have been achieved, and then environmental things like air pollution, less traffic, people are not having to spend a lot of money commuting, a lot of time in the car. There's just a lot more benefits, a, a lot of benefits to working from home. I think government has toyed with telework for a long time. I've, I've been in private sector. I watched private sector do telework. They did it very differently from government. Uh, they got rid of buildings and they, they put equipment in people's homes and they figured out ways that people could come together to do the social part they needed to do or to come together for in-person meetings but they reduce their cost and they increase productivity. Government hasn't, until now, had not adopt, adapted that way of receiving the benefits from telework. It's been forced to do that now. And I think that when all this is over, the pandemic, people are gonna look at the downside of traffic, commuting all the time away from work, the time not being able to spend at you know doing the things that they need to do in their personal lives and, and they're not going to want to go back yeah jason if i can just give you the hard data from our survey on that before the pandemic people were working remote on average less than two days a week and, and as i said a year ago uh, i believe it was social security administration and agriculture we're talking about getting rid of it all together during the pandemic we looked at economic stimulus-related agencies like SBA and, and uh, health agencies like HHS and then the general uh, other government agencies. In the health agencies, they were actually working more than five days a week on average and teleworking more than five days a week. And when we asked them about the future, they all said it's between three and, and four days a week. And exactly as Gloria said, why do they think that? The comments were along the lines of, if I don't need to have meetings that day, it's just not worth my time to spend one or two hours in traffic. So you think of not just D.C., but the major regional offices for the government. They tend to be in large cities. And what that means is the future of the government workplace physically 
is a place for collaboration. And for your day-to-day -day work, it's probably your home office in a secure digital environment. Let's take a quick break. My guests today are Mark Foreman, the former Associate Administrator for eGovernment and IT at OMB, and Gloria Parker, the President and CEO of Parker Group Consulting. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Mark Foreman, the former Associate Administrator for eGovernment and IT at OMB, and Gloria Parker, the President and CEO of Parker Group Consulting. You guys are going through in, in the white paper of how to kind of create that more secure digital environment. So let's jump right in. Appendix A, I read through it, and you guys mentioned something about mission-focused IT. Now, it's, what's interesting about this is you're saying when it comes to spending, agencies really should clearly demonstrate that an IT investment is needed. How do you clearly demonstrate something? I mean, I can tell you I need money, and you can tell me, yeah, everyone needs money. I can say, hey, if I don't have this money, this thing will break. And you could tell me, okay, well, fix it. Don't, but, but you're not getting a new one. You know what I mean? It's that whole, whole back and forth, that, that, the dance that happens every year with the budget. So how do you, how, how, first, let's start there. How do you clearly demonstrate there's a need? The issue that you're raising is closely tied to the fact that O&M spending consumes somewhere between 80 and 85% of agency IT spending. And that's the real question here is, how do you either get additional spending or if you have a constrained budget, you've got to marry up taking out costs in the legacy systems with freeing up the funds you need to invest in, in new areas. Inevitably, in most of these agencies, the programs own the money. So this year, there are actually three pathways that we wanted to highlight in, in the playbook that we put in Appendix A. And, these really are in the annual budgeting guidance. They're not ones that we've created. We've just highlighted as what the agency should take advantage. One is focusing on agency priority goals. And in the result of the pandemic, everybody moving to home, there are certain things that have become barriers to being able to process the work of the government. Things like moving to digital signatures is, is a common one that I think people hear about, but it's, it's kind of an anathema to me because one of the first tasks I had when I came into OMB 19 years ago was make sure the Paperwork Elimination Act gets implemented. And one of the key parameters was allowing for digital signature. A lot of agencies never integrated that in their legacy processes. Then you add in security threats, you add in other aspects that you could say would be O&M, but really the technology is such that if you leverage today's technology that's much more secure, that should free up money for O&M. Three pathways to utilize that money or to ask for additional funding. Number one is the traditional path of agency, what's now agency priority goals. So there's a program that's underperforming. It's necessary either for pandemic response or the restructuring that occurs so this will never happen again or for the economic stimulus programs and the issues that the IGs have been identifying with that. And we know in this next phase of picking up the pieces after the triage that was done immediately after the pandemic, there are gonna be gaps and agencies will have to invest in it. Tying that investment to not anecdotes, but specific metrics tied to either the outgoing Trump administration or the incoming Biden administration priority goals 
is path one, but it requires clear line of sight to how the investment drives the benefit. The second area is in the evidence-based policy making. And if you look at the, the data action plans and the insights from this past year's evidence-based policy making, it's in most agencies a mix of experimentation and new data collection efforts or changes in program decision-making that require systems. So I think there's a natural linkage, but the people working on the evidence-based policymaking don't seem to partner up with the CIOs. And so we're saying that's the path that CIOs have to engage with the people doing the evidence-based policymaking learning agenda. And the third place is 21st century idea. We know as a result of this movement to basically the workforce and business processes being online, there need to be changes in the user experience both inside the government and with the state and local governments, if it's grants or a joined up citizen or a public delivery process. So as these delivery processes move online, this is not outside of the CIO or just a piece within the CIO organization. This needs to be core area that they look at for modernization, leveraging what is an A11 this year, for 21st century idea. It's a lot more explicit the opportunities that CIOs can use if they partner up. I want to let Gloria jump in, but real quick, Mark, quick follow-up because you highlighted just two laws and you know as well as anyone, just because you have a law in the books doesn't mean people will pay attention to it, follow it. I think there's a little bit of, if I was sitting back in, in, a, in a CIO's role and I've never been a CIO, so maybe this is unfair of me, but is this just one more thing I have to do? It's one more you know, unfunded mandate, if you will. It's one more, you know, I'm so busy and I've so, you know, I'm short on resources in terms of people. Uh, you know, what you're saying to me is go do something else to my plate. It just seems a little like there's a mismatch of like academics meeting reality. And 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 I mean that in a, in a, in a sincere way. It's like, how can a CIO have time or, and, and even if you say, well, it's a priority. It's a, it's a, it's an agency priority goal. You have to do it. You all, you both know quite well that that, it gets done when it when when it's important, but if it's not really important, you can call it a priority goal. You can call it a law. Things aren't going to get done like they should. But well, the, the question really is: Are the CIOs going to focus more on their infrastructure and O and M of the production environment, for example, or are they going to make the shift over to working with programs that have needs for modernization? And on the program side. Are they going to work with their CIOs to engage in the modernization discussions, or are they going to work with their historical vendors? And, and I'll tell you one of the most interesting things from the, the survey data is it's a mix. So it's not one or the other, Jason. I think it's very dependent on the personality and the knowledge, the relationships that CIOs build with the programs in their agency. Gloria's been at a couple of agencies. Yeah, very interesting. Gloria's insights on this as well. Yeah. Let me, uh, I'm going to go back to HUD and the capital planning process, which was put in place after Clean Coin was passed for this very purpose, this exact purpose. Unfortunately, in my, in my opinion, agencies have never, generally speaking, have not never used that process correctly. At HUD, to give you an example of how it should work, 
we had our executive investment board. I don't know of any others that were like this, but Andrew Cuomo, Secretary of HUD, chaired. He actually chaired the investment board, the IT investment board. All the assistant secretaries sat around the room monthly to meet on IT investment strategies. I was the executive director of the board as the CIO. We talked about the priorities of the organization from a, a program, a mission standpoint, what was important and how IT would play to support those uh, initiatives that all of the mission areas were focused on. And we, we had working groups that would come together behind the scenes and work together and inform their assistant secretaries as to what they were negotiating in terms of where their money was gonna go in the IT spend in order for the agency to meet its mission. That was what, what I've been able to tell from uh, other agencies and talks with other CIOs, that was somewhat unique. But that's what has to be done. And Mark was talking about that, that the CIOs, have to stop um, focusing only on operations and keeping the lights on and the computers running. And they've got to really get to the table with the assistant secretaries and mission people. They really have to speak mission language and understand what is going on and where technology can enable what's happening on the mission side. And in doing so, it's easy to prioritize the money and where it's gonna be spent. They know that they have to have operations, they have to have their desktops, their laptops, their networks, and they know they have to have cybersecurity, they know that. And, they, and if you can articulate that to them in terms of the benefits, they will spend money on that. But they also, most important to them, have to make sure that their mission goals are met and that's where the break happens. And uh, I think when the agency can sit down as, a, as an agency, as one organization at the table with technology and mission folks and prioritize what needs to be done and what's gonna be spent, then uh, the money is spent in a proper manner as opposed to money going uh, to, to, to support things that the agency is really not focused on. Jason, I, I think this is an unusual time. And one of the reasons we really thought we needed this paper to highlight some of the stuff is because you do have the confluence of a change in administration and the pandemic. The stimulus agencies have a lot of issues because the legacy systems weren't able to effectively deliver what was needed in the pandemic. I mean, they got the money out the door, no, no question about that. But what we're seeing from the PRAC and the, the IG reports is that there are a lot of issues that need to be cleaned up. We see the focus from Senator Hassan, for example, on the Hill saying, show me what your modernization needs are so that we can make sure you get what you need to fund the modernization of these legacy systems. And beyond the TMF, what we're saying is you have to get into not just modernizing the code, you have to look at the new business processes and they either relate to 
the user experience in a digital world or to better program outcomes. Those are the two hooks that CIOs need to engage with their, their cohorts across the, their agency in this business case process that Laura is referring to. Let's take a quick break. My guests today are Mark Foreman, the former Associate Administrator for eGovernment and IT at OMB, and Gloria Parker, the President and CEO of Parker Group Consulting. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Mark Foreman, the former Associate Administrator for eGovernment and IT at OMB, and Gloria Parker, the President and CEO of Parker Group Consulting. Almost every CIO I speak with will tell you they are you know, customer-focused, customer-centric. They are engaged with the program. They sit, they have a seat at the table. They have a voice at the table. And I know some of that is, you know, they're not going to tell me the opposite. They're not going to tell me, no, no, we're locked in the back room. They never let us out. You know, I'm watching blinking lights. I mean, I realize that. But Mark or Gloria, do you, you all get a sense that the CIOs maybe are outwardly saying I'm involved, but when you really dig deep, if you get under the covers, they're still stuck in the back room. They're still, they're not as influential as we think they should be. They could be, they need to be. I will say that from what, from my vantage point, my viewpoint, they still are not at the table. There are some that may be, but if you go back to, again, the Klinger Corn Act, it says that it's spelled out that the CIO must report to the head of the agency. Those are not my words. Those are the words in Clinger Cohen. How many agencies can you point out where the CIO actually reports to the head of the agency? Uh, there are not many cases where that is true. Um, they report to somebody else who reports to somebody else who reports to the head of the agency. Uh, I was fortunate at HUD that I reported to the head of the agency, and, and I, like I said, there may have been a couple other agencies like that, but it was unique. And when you really sit at that table for real, and you are meeting monthly uh, with the mission people, the assistant secretaries and the deputy secretary, and you're talking mission, they listen to you, and, and you have a voice you have they are you are heard but more importantly you are hearing them you're hearing what's important to them and you are being you you are able to articulate to them how you can support what they're trying to get done maybe they need something faster maybe they need it to be more efficient maybe they need fewer errors maybe they whatever it is you can listen firsthand and understand how it can play a role in helping them to to move towards more excellence in performing their mission. I don't think a lot of CIOs have that opportunity from what I gather and I talk to some and they don't report to the head of the agency. Jason, I don't think this is unique to uh, the CIO role either. When I was on the Hill in the 90s, we did a lot of management reforms and, and the feeling on good government management reform is you fix the procurement issues, you drive the IT organization towards modernization, and, and that really was our vision, or I should say the Congress's vision in clearer tone, uh, was to have the CIOs drive modernization and, and more cost-effective achievement of agency mission. 
CFOs, better funds management, and fewer improper payments. Uh, the, the DDM role and the chief management officer for the agencies to really focus on the management quality. And it's become very clear over the last few years, that's now called mission support. And mission support has been segmented away from actual running of the organization and greater focus on program offices to administer their own program. And the programs get the funding for running their programs. The CIO role has largely been deliver on that 80-85% of the IT spend, which is O&M. So how do you get them to shift to that other area of DM&E? Well, if you look at the, at the IT dashboard, you see a slow growth in this concept of mixing DM&E, development modernization enhancement with O&M, and it's kind of tweaking at the edges. I think the difference today is because of the pandemic with the movement of people online, a lot more work has to go into how do you take advantage of a, a digital operating model in these agencies. Some of the CIOs have, through FATARA have been partnering up to do budget reviews. There's a difference between being part of building a business case in a transformation initiative and approving a business case. And what we're saying is CIOs, given the crisis that's underway, you have to shift your focus now and get involved in building the business cases for transformation and building those investment concepts, partnering with the programs as opposed to just overseeing them. I want to jump forward to another part that you all highlight in the white paper. It's about data and recommendations to provide meaningful data. So, let me start with the definition of meaningful data. How, do you, how would you define that? Meaningful data is data that people can actually use, <laughs> really use. This is not just a whole bunch of raw data. It's by the time the mission people get this data, it's already interpreted. It's something that they can actually understand and it can benefit them in decision-making. Give you an example. Um, the Census Bureau is a great example where they go out and do the big data collection every 10 years. They, when that comes into census, that is raw data, it's data. But what they do is they have systems, uh, so related, that will analyze that data. They do all the data analytics and they, by the time they finish with the data, it's not raw data, the data actually tells you something. Uh, and that data at that point can be used to make decisions about where money's gonna go, how money's gonna be spent in certain areas, and so on. So that's just one real clear example, what meaningful data is. You can go out and collect all the data you want, but if, it, if it's not analyzed and put into a format that people can use to make decisions, then it's useless data. But let me let me put a finer point on it because I think Gloria, in some ways, census data is like the ultimate, right? That is the data. But from a CIO's perspective, and and somebody when you were at HUD, you weren't collecting census data. You may not even you may have been using census data for something the mission areas were. But what what you're saying here is CIOs should bring data to the table. They should go to the mission area and say, 
for instance, you're spending too much on your network. If you move to the cloud, we can reduce your network by 20%. And that 20% then can be reinvested in mission. And I, I mean, is that the type of meaningful data you're talking about? Or are you talking about, or that's you know, one of many uh, examples? Look, most of the infrastructure CIOs are going to look at the, the speeds and feeds type stuff. And they would say, look, if you move to the cloud, then you, you can meet a, a FISMA, you know, security control requirement, or we can reduce response times. We can get more bandwidth by the way we're using the cloud versus everybody attaching through their home network, you know, to, to the data center. The speeds and feeds types of stuff are the wrong metrics. The meaningful data get back to the mission. And I'll give you an example to, to, to build on uh, census. I was working with an agency about five years ago. And the agency at the bureau, each of the bureaus had to use the, the headquarters private cloud data center environment that had been put together and network environment that had been put, put together. They all said that they were meeting their uptime goals, system availability goals of 99.99 or 99.995. This agency, though, at the bureau level, didn't have access literally to their email for one week of a critical month of the year over that month. One full week they were out. But according to the, the speeds and feeds reports from the two data centers, they were up 100 percent of their target, the 99.9, the four nines or, or thereabouts. So that's what we're talking about is the thing that matters is, does the agency have access to their tools to do the work in the manner that they are doing their work? And that's really shifted with people working at home. It's got to be secure. Uh, they've got to be able to access their, their databases, their applications, and so forth, and the way they're doing their work. And it doesn't do much good for a CIO to have good infrastructure SLA numbers that aren't relevant to the mission. If I can add to that, I'm going to give a, that's excellent, Mark. I totally agree with that. And I'm going to add a different example. Um, I remember one time when, when we all first started doing enterprise architectures, everybody wanted it to be some super tech. I remember mission people didn't even want to hear the word because it had the word architecture in it. So they, they didn't even want to try to understand what that meant. Uh, we went to a hearing on the Hill and Congress was saying to HUD that every time they ask for information from HUD, they, depending on who they ask, they get different information. So it, the data is like, okay, if I ask, one missionary, they're gonna give me this, but if I ask another one, they'll give me a different answer. On the way back, Secretary Cuomo was making a comment. He said, now we gotta go back and create new applications to answer these questions that Congress is asking. And I said, no, we don't. We actually have something I said, I'm gonna say this word one time. Don't, don't worry, we don't have to memorize it, but it's something called an enterprise architecture. And let me explain to you what we can do. It starts with, you know, what is the mission piece? What is the program piece that's actually going on? Or what, what are we doing? 
what data is supporting that, what software is creating, or what applications creating that data, what software is running those applications down to the hardware. I said, I know where all of this data is and, and we have it in one place. All I have to do is go in and ask the system for what I need in terms of the data that they're asking for. And we've got one set of data and we can do that right now. That was an example, I think, of CIOs, if they use the data that they have correctly, they can actually answer questions like that immediately. But you know, where what he was thinking was we got to go back now and invest more money to create more applications, or you know, in his words, to create all this new data. And we didn't have to create new data. We already had the data. It just wasn't being used correctly. So Jason, just to build on that, the DevSecOps tools that are available today, really over the last two or three years, are so much better now at laying out the linkage between applications level performance issues or production environment performance issues and the impact on business processes that people are trying to execute at the mission level. So the, the, the data tools available over the last couple of years really support doing this when you overlay it, how the agencies have performed as they've shifted to this much more online work environment in the pandemic. Let's take a quick break. My guests today are Mark Foreman, the former Associate Administrator for eGovernment and IT at OMB, and Gloria Parker, the President and CEO of Parker Group Consulting. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Mark Foreman, the former associate administrator for e-government and IT at OMB, and Gloria Parker, the president and CEO of Parker Group Consulting. Do you both get a sense that the reason why a paper like this, the, the suggestions you're making can resonate more, maybe a little deeper today? Because a lot of what you both are saying is stuff we've talked about, and, and I'll go back to the 19 years that Mark, you and I have uh, worked together since you were at OMB. A lot of this is what we've talked about over the years, time and again. I mean, not a lot is, I'll say, new here. But the difference to me is, again, as you all pointed out, the pandemic, but also a better understanding of tools, data, capabilities, and then the emergence of cloud and, and others. Is, is it a, I'll use the overused term, a perfect storm in a sense? Well, as a minimum, it's a confluence of events. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but the tools are so much better. There's no question. Uh, look, the, the cloud is largely becoming the environment of, as a service at literally the processing level that comprises what you need to build a business process. And I think uh, not just government, but in the commercial world as well, to take advantage of that, a number of companies have realized it's everything from the, the companies that are doing technology business management and tracking costs to the companies that are tracking the linkage between uh, production environment issues and actual business process issues, that the, there are a lot of opportunities to really understand where to take advantage of cloud native solutions to take out cost and improve quality of service. So that is coming together with this shift to online that's happened as a result of the pandemic. There, there's no question about the confluence here. Mark says confluence, I say perfect storm, we're all good. 
We got the same. There's the time is right. I want to go back to something that Mark said earlier, which is about funding. In the white paper, you all talk about the need to the, the potentially use the technology modernization fund, TMF, but obviously that money is very limited. There's only so much that, that Congress gives OMB each year. And then again, we also have O&M funding, which Mark mentioned. So two-part question here. One, do you both think that we're going to see, if OMB puts those numbers out anymore, a huge decrease in O&M funding based on the urgency of the pandemic? And then the second part of that is whether or not there is a decrease, what are some approaches you both would recommend to moving out, moving money out of O&M? Again, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, hence why it's been stuck in that 75 to 85 percentile over the last 20, 25 years. I think there's much better realization as a result of some of the issues in pandemic response uh, in the Congress that modernization funding is needed in mass. So uh, whether there's that shift from O&M to modernization and taking out costs uh, or not, I think there's going to be an increase in modernization funding. Let me lay out a couple aspects of that, though. Uh, for, first of all, I think that the bottom-up approach of CIOs and agency executives starting to mine the bureaus and the workers in the field for cost takeout may often be on the physical side. In other words, uh, if you've been in a government office building in the last few weeks, it's a pretty dark facility. And I don't know how the government's going to be able to maintain that capital cost. I think it's pretty obvious that you cut back on your facilities, your physical capital costs, and invest in your in IT and human capital. And I think that's a lot of what we were talking about in, in the paper. So it may not just be a transfer between IT O&M and uh, IT modernization. It may be uh, programs funding modernization because their the capital or their overhead cost on facilities goes down and frees up money. But I do think in addition to that, that uh, you, you have opportunities to take out costs in IT O&M to free up money. I think the uh, programs really are going to be the source of that funding rather than the infrastructure modernization like we see in TMF. Mark, I'm going to push back a little bit. I mean, I understand the facility side, the physical side, but that's really is long-term changes. You know, to get out of a lease to sell a federal building. I mean, this is not something that can happen in three or six months. This is something that can happen in three or six years if you're lucky. I mean, we've seen GSA sell buildings in the D.C. area, and that hasn't happened quickly. And we've seen agencies move, and that hasn't happened quickly. So it's a little bit of a in the perfect world scenario that they could find money in physical space, but in the short term, what, what is the answer? I, I was, I'm looking for that short term answer because that's where CIOs fortunately or unfortunately are, are mostly focused. Yeah. Well, I, I wish it worked that fast, but you know, the budgeting process itself is a two year process. So in, in the short term, I think it's going to be very ad hoc and to the extent that with the transition teams, uh, the CIOs get engaged in some of these discussions and can join up with the programs. They'll find pockets of opportunities. I mean, it's not a uh, total situation where in every agency, everything is, is broken. I think most of the agencies have a lot of progress, but a lot more upside opportunity. 
and what we're hoping to catalyze is the discussion around the up, upside opportunity. Laurie, you probably have more detailed views on that having lived through this in multiple administrations. First of all, I agree that we're not going to get rid of facilities and government the way private sector can get rid of their buildings, which is what I saw uh, when I was in the private sector. However, I agree with Mark that there are other ways that money is being saved uh, right now that the pandemic has caused. Uh, mentioned earlier, there is a lot more productivity. There's uh, government is paying a lot less on human capital things like transportation. And I totally agree with Mark. If the CIOs are talking regularly with the mission leaders in an agency, they can find the money. I think there's more money that will be available coming out of the mission side as a result of the pandemic to begin to do some of the development work, some of the modernization that needs to be done. And, and, and coming out of my past in private sector, where we had to always cost justify with our customers the money that they spent on anything, that's where government needs to get to. Let's uh, do a cost-benefit analysis on the monies that we're asking for and how it's going to be spent and what benefit is coming from that. When you do a complete cost-benefit analysis, you're going to always find savings. Otherwise, there's no need to spend the money. If there's no benefit to spending the money, there's no need to spend it. So I think that if CIOs can work with the mission folks and really understand the business, understand what these applications of technology and these new developments and modernization is going to do to increase their productivity and decrease their costs, those decreased cost savings um, can be applied to other areas of business that we haven't had the opportunity to, to do prior to the pandemic. It goes back to something I haven't seen a lot in government, doing the cost benefit analysis on expenditures and making sure that if you're gonna spend the money, it's benefit, typically a financial benefit to the organization. If the CIOs look at Appendix C of the white paper, it gives them some pathways to engage in those discussions. Oh, very good. This has been a great conversation. We could have talked much longer, but unfortunately we're out of time. So let me thank my guests, Mark Foreman, the former Associate Administrator for eGovernment and IT at OMB. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you and all the best in the new year. And Gloria Parker, the President and CEO of Parker Group Consulting. Gloria, thank you for taking the time as well. Thank you, Jason, for having us. I enjoyed it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.